Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me again for our little mini series on supporting others in pain, Mel, our co-host, and Christy, my beautiful wife. Gals, it is great to have you on the podcast with me. Hey, it's great being here. So good to be here. Well, um, Mel, did you plan that to say the same thing as me? <laughs> no, but we're so simpatico, so I know. it just makes sense. Simpatico, <laughs> what a great word. I knew I asked you guys on this for a reason. You guys just, you had so much value and you're in sync and I'm ready to hear all the thoughts that you guys have, especially on supporting friends. Supporting oh, I love this topic. I pain. mean, um, well, Davey, I think that one of the best ways that we can support our friends is realizing that we have made so many deposits in their life. Like we have been there through the good times and and those really do prepare us to walk through the hardships with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because we have made so many deposits of rejoicing with them, we can really weep with them too. And, and, and I think sometimes when a friend is going through adversity, one of the roles that we get to play as a friend is, um, being bold with them. (laughs) You know, like if you, you kind of get that opportunity to, um, go there and say and do the things that not everybody has liberty to do. Right. Right. Whereas like if you were just supporting an acquaintance or a coworker, you know, you'd try to be careful about boundaries or you try to be careful about like, I don't want to, I don't want to intrude or encroach upon, you know, any space that I'm not invited into when it's a friend, a good friend. And especially if you know about this friend that they're kind of either closing off or embarrassed or, or, or whatever, you're able to kind of take step over that threshold a little bit by just, you know, uh, asserting yourself in their life. Cause you know what their needs, you can anticipate their needs cause you know them so well. Yeah. And they trust you and they, they yep. know that they need you and they want you there to walk through it with them because you've walked through everything else with them. Yeah. I think one of the things that's so unique about friendships, uh, because you have that equity, because you've established that for a while is, um, that you're able to, uh, step into these situations by just, you know, anticipating needs, assuming needs, and just meeting those needs. Um, because I think it's, it can feel really almost calloused or uh, removed to say things like, and this is a natural thing that so many times I catch myself saying it all the time, but it's not very helpful. Uh, And I'll tell you why in a second. It's this phrase, let me know if you need something. Let me know Mm -hmm. if you need anything. And the reason it's not very helpful, I was actually talking to a friend of mine um, who lost a a close loved one uh, just recently, and he was expressing this. He was saying people keep coming up and saying, hey, let me know if you need something um, and, and he's like, I don't, I don't want to go and like, you're putting another burden on me. I don't want to go and ask you for something, <laughs> you know, I don't want to. And, and that's the thing when someone's walking through something difficult or hard, they don't want to ask people to come into their lives. We know mm-hmm. human nature kind of resists that. Oftentimes we want to go, Hey, I, I got this. I'll take care of this. And so I think sometimes we need to anticipate, man, this person's going to probably resort to trying to isolate themselves. Let's just let's just go meet a need for them. Let's go show up at their house. Hey, call them up. Hey, I'm coming over and let's just be present with them and, um, and allow them to be able to, uh, you know, uh, um, feel that support from us 
rather than just hear, hey, I'm supporting you. Yeah. Yeah. I think really putting it into action. Like for me, I'll say, hey, I made double the chili. I'm bringing over some chili. You don't even have to be home. I'm just going to put it on your front doorstep and I'll leave and text you when I'm gone and (laughs) you can open up your door and get it. So for us, Dave and I have actually created a home with an open door policy. Um, What's funny about it is I grew up that way because my mom, we actually invited the janitor at the church we were going to because he was from Mexico and he didn't have anyone over uh, for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and so we just said, hey, you can come over to our house. We've always Which, been a house. Which, as an aside, that's a wonderful way to support friends who are going through a tough time, like especially during, uh, we've had people come over to our house for Thanksgiving who are not part of our family and just include them in your family stuff, your holidays, if you know that they don't have family. Yes, and just including them in life because life is busy and I got a lot going on and I have a lot of trials and everything like that. But just because you're in the middle of your trial or something that's going on in your life doesn't mean you can't be there for somebody else. And so I'll just say it to some people that need to talk and hang out like, hey, I'm actually going to my kid's basketball game. Meet me at the basketball game. Let's hang out. I think in the biggest thing with Jesus says is you need to lay down your life for others. So if you're willing to do life and lay it down for others, that every single day is not going to be the perfect day. And so it's going to be busy. You're going to have to add things to your list. But when you see a need, I think you just need to meet it with your friends. Yeah. The other the other thing that and, and this is this is kind of sensitive to talk about, but I think it's really important to mention that sometimes when when we're walking through something difficult, it's really hard for us to see our friends who are maybe experiencing some victories, especially if it's directly related to the difficulties that we're experiencing. So let me just kind of throw out a, a hypothetical situation. Um, Maybe you have just recently experienced uh, a miscarriage and and you're watching some of your friends who are pregnant or having babies. And um, obviously that it, it can be a major trigger for your, your own grief to see this. But what I think is a shame sometimes is when I see someone who this is the case, they begin to remove themselves from or ostracize themselves from those friendships. It creates a barrier in that relationship. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they create a wedge there because, and you know, so for instance, maybe they won't show up to the their friend's baby shower, or they um, you know, they don't want to talk about it with other people, and so people won't, you know, th- there'll be this awkwardness that happens between them because you're not willing to to lean in and support your friends in their victories. Mm -hmm. And what happens in that is then people don't know how to support you in your defeats. They don't know what to, they don't know what to do in that Mm -hmm. situation. So I think one of the great ways for, to make sure that, you know, when you do walk through trial, when inevitably some trial hits your life for you to be supported by friends is to first make sure you're offering support to your friends when they're going through trial and when they're going through triumph. And when you're just, when you're a supportive person, then it comes back to you tenfold. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, isn't it Proverbs 31 where it says that she laughs at the days ahead? Isn't that mm-hmm. what, the end of Proverbs 31? She laughs yep. at the days ahead. Well, why can you laugh at the days ahead even though you know that there's trials to come? Well, throughout the entire passage of Proverbs 31, it talks about all the value that she is adding to other people. Yep. And when you're supporting other people, you're supporting friendships, and you just become that for your group of friends, then when trial hits your life, then there's going to be people around you to support you uh, and hold you up during those situations. So I think it's just important. You got to, to celebrate those things that are going on in other people's lives, even though it may remind you of some pain in your own life. Yeah. And I think it's hard to just because, I mean, I am constantly walking hand in hand with people that are going through trial. Mm-hmm. And even for me, when I 
am around people who are going through trial, I sometimes will get awkward and I sometimes yeah. have to pray and discern in the moment, like, what should I say at this moment or should I just not say nothing, anything at all? Right. And so even when I was pregnant, I met um, someone in my small group um, at BSF. She actually was going through something and infertility. And there were just times where I'm like, goodness, like, am I a, a reminder mm -hmm. of the thing that she can't have right now? And I became awkward and I, and I had to step into that. And so some of the things I would encourage others to do in that season is just to just to just step into it and fully just ask in boldness, like, hey, like, do I bring pain to you? Just anything with your friend, mm -hmm. because you can speak that into your friend's life instead of just not saying anything at all and slowly stop calling them and texting them and hanging out with them. How about you step into it and just say like, hey, like, I want to walk in this with you, but I also want you to celebrate with me yeah. too. But what's going to, I want to be sensitive to what's going on with you. Yeah. And I think if you can do that, there's a tension, but you can create a healthy tension with that. Yeah, and you can kind of break some of the tension that is existing there if you if you address it and go, yes. hey, since this has happened in your life or since this has happened in my life, I feel like there's been a, a, a chasm between us. There's been like a gap of connectivity. So is is it because, you know, am I reminding you of something? Am I, is this, and, and for you, again, back to what you said, Mel, just to have that courage to address it. Um, I believe, and I've heard this said before that, uh, every great relationship lives on the other side of an awkward conversation. Mm. Mm. You're not going to experience that connectivity and that great relationship unless you're willing to lean into some of the awkwardness that is inevitably going to arise. Well, and I, I had one additional thought. That's really good, Davey. Um, I agree. Um, I was actually just hanging out with one of my good friends today, and she is going through an incredibly hard season where her husband broke his hip. Her mom just got diagnosed with cancer. She's in her first trimester of pregnancy. It's just like wow. a very hard season. And today, uh, I just got the opportunity to tell, to affirm how encouraged I am by how she's fighting for truth, how she's mm. not w uh, wallowing in self-pity, how she's seeking to glorify God through this all. And I think that, um, you know, it says like a good word is like medicine for the soul. And so mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest ways we can support our friends in trials is just say, hey, I see where you're doing it right, where Jesus is, please keep That's so good. doing it. Yep. That's so good. The, the I'm proud of you. I mean, those three words, it, it's, it's amazing what that can do for somebody. Hey, I'm proud of you in this season. Yeah. You're doing a great job. Jesus sees you. I see you. I mean, Wow. That's so good, Mel. Um, well, this has been really helpful. I hope uh, this has been helpful to, for, to you guys as you're, as you're trying to navigate trials and, and difficulties with your friends. Um, maybe you have a story that you want to share with us. And, and we've opened up a new platform for you to share those stories. Christy, you've been spearheading this platform quite a bit. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about the stories platform? Yeah, so basically just um, on our website, we have this place where you can submit your story. Um, it's a place where maybe you, you don't feel comfortable going on the podcast or you just want to share with us what, uh, a trial that's going on that we can that we can pray for you. And also it's a place where um, uh, me and a team of a couple of people, we will actually go through all the different stories and see which stories that we're going to put on our website. And basically the stories are just uh, stories of brokenness and trial that you you have seen God work in your life and um, have come out on the other side and you want to encourage others. Yeah. Wow. So good. It's such a great thing. I've, I've read all these stories and I'm excited about um, continuing to post more and more stories. And so if you want to share your story with us, go to that stories page, nothingiswasted.com slash stories. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash 
stories. Um, and while you're at it, why don't you hop over to iTunes, rate and review the podcast if this has been beneficial to you. And, um, and while you're listening to this interview with Karen Millsap, mention us on Nothing on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. We would love to have a conversation with you there. We'd love to forward over some of your thoughts and uh, share this episode with other people. Uh, without further ado, this is my conversation with Karen Millsap. Karen, so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on here, Davey. Well, would you just start out? Tell us a little bit about yourself. What are, where do you live currently? What's, what's current day Karen Millsap's life look like? Ooh, depends on the day. I wear so many hats. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I am based in Florida, in Orlando. And so, you know, when you have endless summers, you can't complain, oh right? Oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> jealous. My kids are not wanting to play outside. They told me the other day, like, we don't want to play outside. And I'm like, no, you're going to want to play outside come a couple of months. So get yep. out there right now. <laughs> yep, soak it all up, kids. Soak it all I up. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. Wow. So I'm in Orlando now, but you know, I, uh, I'm from all over. I was an air force kid. I okay. had the, the privilege of being able to travel with my dad who served in the air force for 21 years. And, uh, as a matter of fact, the first, um, five of seven years of my life, I lived in Okinawa, Japan, oh, wow. which I don't know if you know anything about Okinawa, but it's an Island off of the mainland of Japan. Mm -hmm. And so it's tropical. So when we actually Ooh. moved back to the States, I thought to myself, well, when are we going home? Like I thought I was <laughs> from Japan. And so, uh, so yes, I, I think that I'm exactly where I need to be being in a, a tropical environment. <laughs> back in the tropical environment. That's Correct. awesome. Well, yeah. you do wear a lot of hats. Um, your resume is, is pretty long and it's really cool to see what you have been able to emerge from and kind of the things that you're doing and what you're allowing God to do out of some of the tragedy that you've experienced. But, you know, your, your resilience and mindset coach. Um, and, and you're, you're kind of the, the lead of an organization. What is this organization that you've started? Yeah. So I actually have a community called the Grow Flow and it's meant to okay. be a space where you can learn different mental and emotional health tips so you can create a solid foundation. Um, but I also have a corporate entity, which is agency, and we serve corporate America by teaching leaders how to bring compassion and empathy into the workplace. So that's why I say I wear many hats. Yeah. I, I serve individuals. I also <laughs> serve corporations. And so, yeah, so busy bee over here. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I, we have all, we're sitting here in the room, our podcast producer, everybody, we've seen your TED Talk. It was an incredible TED Talk. I'm super jealous because, man, what an incredible opportunity to be able to um, communicate in that space and share some ideas. But um, you've kind of walked through the fire to be able to have that kind of a platform. And you're, you're speaking out of experience. And that's what I love about what you're doing. Um, would you kind of take us back and, and share a bit of your story? Because all of this stuff has not just has not just come to you because you're white knuckling your way through this whole thing. You've, you've experienced a lot of loss, a lot of pain, a lot of hardship. So why don't you inform the listener a little bit on, on your backstory? Yeah. So growing up again, being in the air force community, I loved and would thrive around diversity. So I actually, I know that you are somewhat familiar with Dover, <laughs> Delaware. That's yep. where I graduated <laughs> high school. So shout out to everybody in Dover. That's right. Um, 
but I, I graduated there and then I was really yearning to be back in a diverse environment. So I ended up at George Mason University, which is outside of Washington, D.C. Mm. Um, I love the D.C. area, but, you know, maybe a year or two after I was over it. I was over the yeah. Beltway and the traffic and all of that. And uh, and I, I met my husband. And the funny story is I met him at a, a mutual friend's birthday party. But the only reason we started talking is because I said to him, I said, Wow, you look just like my dad. <laughs> so, not the way to start off a Definitely uh, conversation. Not a, I don't know what I would do with that. <laughs> On one hand, I'd probably be like, "That's that could be a good sign because I've always heard that girls kind of gravitate to more like their father figure or at least a semblance of that. And they're like, what I want in a husband is some good character traits I see in my dad. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't think that would have been bait that I would have taken. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it really was eerie because, you know, one time we were with my dad and we were in the hospital and uh, my husband was walking with my dad and the nurses thought that they were related. They thought that that was his son, not that I was his daughter. That's how much they looked alike. But anyway, so that's what got the conversation going. And and, uh, and not long after, I, I fell in love. Uh, we were in the D.C. area together, but um, his home base was in Orlando. So uh, mm. by way of Vermont, we spent a few months there in the okay. dead of winter, which oh. I do not suggest. Oh, wow. It was beautiful. And I loved being close to Ben and Jerry, but it was rough. Yes. <laughs> was rough. Now, did you ski at all? I heard it's a great area for skiing when it comes to the wintertime. I did not get a chance to see. Um, But I will tell you that there was this one time I was driving at night and it was a road that was like on the side of the mountain and I've never been so close to the moon. I mean, it was, there were no streetlights, but it was so bright because the moon, it was just, it was gorgeous. So that is one regret is that I didn't get a chance to experience uh, skiing in Vermont. You've kind of covered the gamut, Vermont, then down to Orlando, (laughs) Japan. I mean, it's, you're all over the place. That's really cool. I have an adventurous spirit. Are are you an Enneagram 7? Out of curiosity, I am. What? I just, I just kind of figured. Just kind of. My wife's an Enneagram Seven, so sometimes it's easy to spot. It's easy to spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny that you say that. That's funny. <laughs> um, but so yeah. So then we we ended up going down to uh, Orlando together. We settled there. Um, my background is in human resources and HR okay. so, uh, and, and recruiting. So nothing really exciting, uh, except for the fact that now what I'm doing, I can relate to that past experience mm. because I love, I loved helping people through change and transition. Mm-hmm. And I love just making sure that they had enough information to make a good choice for themselves. Right. And to make sure that they weren't just selecting a, a job title, but right. really selecting something that would set their soul on fire. Yeah. That's so good. Um, well, that conversation in general is such a great conversation because there's so many people who are stepping into work because maybe their their parents pressured them into a certain degree in college or their parents even pressured them to go to college. They have no idea what they want to do. They're not really sure what sets their soul on fire. They don't understand the concept that God has created them uniquely for a specific task here on this earth. And that when you step into that, man, it just lights you up and, so and you're so passionate about what you're doing. So I love that work in general. And I'm sure that now it's kind of created, as we'll talk about in a second, a convergence, everything that you've walked through has created kind of a convergence of, you know, your, your, your passion, your experience, kind of the suffering that you walk through can really help you um, find and and design what your, what your, what your purpose is in life. So. And, you know, interestingly enough, I can only say this in hindsight. I think that we, that we limit God's glory and how he can work through us Mm. just based on our own necessity. 
And I feel like when we really surrender, and, and that has been my word throughout this entire experience has been surrender. But when we really surrender and when we pay attention just to those little nudges that are in our heart or stir up our soul as it pertains to job, but other things as well. But when we do that, then you're right. We are actually moving towards who he created yeah. us to be. Right. And and there is a lot of bravery in that. Um, you know, I, I thought that I was living it out in HR, but boy, mm. <laughs> was I wrong. <laughs> so, wow. um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, I was, I was working as a, a recruiter, a regional recruiter for a national home building company. And um, my husband actually had just started a CrossFit gym. So okay. if, if I remember you, we are, have a you lot of, yes, we have a lot of commonalities, a lot of common threads coming through. Yes. I definitely am very much into CrossFit too into CrossFit as my wife would tell me, she's like, you need to limit how much you talk about that because you sound like a freak. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm an Enneagram three. I'm very not aware. So I tend to talk about it a lot. So we might just edit this part out so people don't hear ad nauseum CrossFit conversation. <laughs> well, you were created to be a CrossFitter. That's, That's right. Um, but so, yeah, so he was actually pursuing the entrepreneurial journey, okay. right? He actually opened up the CrossFit gym. Uh, it's called CrossFit Mosaic. Hmm. And he opened it up um, his birthday weekend in March of 2013. So growing up, being an entrepreneur was really never uh, a part of my mindset. Mm. It was never an aspiration. Um, I certainly have people in my family, you know, who've been entrepreneurs, but not like, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow right. up, you know? Right. So um, as he decided to pursue this, I was just in awe of how he was figuring it out, you know, how he mm. would just research and say, okay, what do I need to do to get a logo? How do I find the right space? How am I getting the equipment? I mean, he was just... he was brilliant in that sense and yeah. fearless, um, which was really cool to see. And so anyhow, you know, we were, I guess you could say living the dream, mm -hmm. but just, you know, building life. Um, we had our, our two kids, my, my stepdaughter and my son was two at the time. Um, and so life was just, it was good. Yeah. You know, life was, life was everything that I think you hope that it would be in the stage that we were at, mm -hmm. right? And so then there was this day where uh, it was a normal Monday. It was in August. So about six months after Richard opened up the CrossFit. And at the time I was doing interviews for an executive position. Mm -hmm. So it, was un it, it wasn't normal for me to have to do any interviews at home to take work home. And because we were opening up this gym together, typically my day would look like I wrap up work, I go straight to the gym. I'm either hopping into a class mm -hmm. or I'm just you know managing the kids because we have kind of a kid's area. So I text him and I said, hey, you know, change of plans. I have to do three interviews tonight from home. Do you want me to come pick up the kids or do you want them to stay at the gym with you? And so he texted me back and he said, well, you can come get them. You know, they miss you and they can mm. spend some time. So I said, okay, no problem. So I happened to get a phone call um, while I was on my way to the gym. And it was something about one of the positions that I was recruiting for. So as I pulled up to the gym and on this conference call, he walks the kids out, puts them in the car, waves goodbye. And I'm like, okay, see you mm. later. And that was, you know, our, our see ya. So I ended up uh, dropping my stepdaughter off over at her mom's house and he was going to pick her up on the way home after his last class. I rushed home, got my son settled. Again, he was two and a half at the time. So I uh, got him settled and hopped on the first interview. Mm. And so as I'm on the first interview, um, I'm going through just the standard questions and I'm using my house phone, but I noticed that 
my cell phone starts buzzing and it was face down on the table. And so, you know, wanting to be professional and not distracted, right. I didn't look at it. But after a few minutes, it had been going off. And, and so I thought to myself, well, whoever this is really needs something. Let me just look. And as I pick up the phone to look, I see that the call stopped and I could see that I had over 10 missed calls from the same person. Oh, wow. Now, this person was one of our gym members. So the first thing that I thought to myself was, oh, Richard must have hurt himself. He must have fallen off the rig and broke his arm. Yeah. But then I was like, well, if he broke his arm, you know, he's so macho, he would have called me himself to tell me. <laughs> right. And so then I said, well, he must have hit his head. So, I mean, you know how you can get yeah. a million thoughts that just rush through your brain mm -hmm. in, in an instant. So as these thoughts are uh, going through my mind, she's calling again, and I had just asked the candidate a question. So I put him on mute while he was answering. And when I answered her call, all I heard was screaming and um, complete chaos. And I remember not being able to understand anything she was saying until I could make out one word, and that was shot. Oh, my gosh. And so... The crazy thing is, and, and now I've, I've learned this kind of in my, um, in my experience in, in becoming a coach and helping people through grief and really understanding what it means to grieve mm -hmm. or even the emotional and physical and mental response to grief. Um, but as soon as I heard that, my body started convulsing yeah. in a way that I've never felt before. And it was, it was crazy. It was, it was just like all of a sudden fear and right and anger and, and pain and suffering. It just all came into my body at once, like this force field. Mm. And so um, I had to regain my composure enough to get back on the phone and say to the candidate, thank you so much for your time. We'll be in contact with next steps. Like I literally had to calm my voice to just get off the phone with him. And it was um, an out-of-body experience, yeah. I think is the best way to describe right. that. Wow. And so... Um, so once I got that news, I, I picked up my son and I was bouncing him because I didn't want him to feel what was happening yeah. in my body. I remember making a very deliberate choice with that. I took him over to the neighbors and I just said, you know, I, I don't know what happened. Something happened at the gym. Can you keep him? And, and they said, sure. Um, I called my boss to say, I have two more interviews. I can't do this. I'm on. And he stayed on the phone with me until I got close enough, you know, to the gym. But mm -hmm. by that time, you know, my family was blowing up my, my phone. I don't even know how everybody found out, but it was just, it was chaos. And I do remember thinking the light before the gym, why am I not on my way to the hospital? Mm. Because by this time, I, at, at least 20 minutes went by from the first time that she called me. Right. Wow. And so when I pulled up, it was, pandemonium. You know, there were news reporters and, and uh, people from the community, people who I knew, people who I didn't know, people from the church. It was just, it was chaos. And so he ended up, um, somebody came in, they shot him while he was teaching the class. Um, he Gosh. died instantly. There were about 10 people, I think, in the class. Um, there was a getaway driver. And so because they were in the middle of the the workout nobody got a good look at who he was coming in and coming mm. out um and now six years later it's still an open case oh my gosh wow i feel like i need to take a moment and just um absorb that i feel like the listener needs to take a moment and absorb it too karen uh, you know i say things like um 
I can't imagine what that's like. And, and, um, you know, on some level I can because I've had similar experience, but it doesn't matter if you've had a similar experience or not. The nuances of what you have just described to me in your story, I just can't imagine. And, um, man, I'm absolutely sorry. Um, for what you, you know, had to, had to face that day and then following that day and what you've had to walk through. Um, what, what was it like now you're, what year was this, that this happened? 2013. 2013. Mm-hmm. As you're looking back on that scene and, and you're kind of, uh, the best that you can, cause in moments like that, you can't really come to grips with the reality of what's happened. Um, it, it, it's like grief takes, it's, you know, there's a, there's a late, there's a latency period with grief where, uh, you finally begin to over the next couple months and next couple of years, even begin to come to grips with the, you know, and accept what has happened. But as you're coming to grips in that moment with news reporters around with, you know, investigators, police officers, other family members, members of the church, um, members of the gym, what was that like for you? What was that moment as you're hearing the news and seeing the reality in front of you? Can you remember? Yes, I can. Um, so when I got there, I don't remember who told me that he was already gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but they already had it roped off where I couldn't go anywhere near the gym. So the closest I could get was this bush And I went and I sat behind the bush and I just kept rocking back and forth. And I said exactly what you said. I said, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. This is, I, I I must've said that a million times and then some, Mm. and you know, unfortunately in this world, crazy, horrific things like this, they do happen often, way too often. Yeah. But when you see it on the news, it's, it's shocking. Mm-hmm. When it happens to you, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And that's how it felt. It was literally just unbelievable. I could not grasp. I actually remember at one point, I think I was in my pastor's car and we were driving. Um, this was, you know, maybe a, a few days later, we had to go, go to the funeral home. I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm looking out and I just feel this numbness because I can't shake the feeling that this isn't real, right. that this absolutely could not, should not. I can't believe that this is happening. Right. And that sticks with you for a while. I mean, a really, really long time. There are even moments now, six years later, where I'm like, this is unbelievable. I yeah. can't believe that this is a story that I have to share. But that night, it was just so um, horrific I think is the best word. It was, I felt a lot of confusion. Um, I was walking down when we were standing out by the gym. Um, and I, after I came from behind the bush, um, I remember that there was this moment and I actually mentioned this on my Ted talk and it just put me into this state of, I, I can't even process anymore. But it was when the officer came up to me and he said, Mrs. Millsap, you're going to have to call someone to clean up in there. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is my first responsibility as a widow. Right. 
And then I thought to myself, I was like, wait, I'm a widow. Like you don't mm-hmm. even, I was 29 at the time. That's not something that you think would yeah. happen at such a young age. I mean, you know this. Yep. Yep. And so I, uh, I also, as I'm standing there, my pastor was there and, uh, and I said to the officer, I said, well, what do you mean? Isn't that something that you all do? And he said, no. And mm. I said, okay, well, like, what do I do? Like, how, and he said, well, you're going to have to call crime scene, crime scene cleanup. Yeah. And I said, um, okay, well, how do I find them? And he said, you can look in the yellow pages. Like we're literally having this conversation where I cannot grasp yeah. the words that are coming out of his mouth. Right. Side note or the lack of compassion. Right. 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 <laughs> but but God used that moment in such an incredible way because as my pastor was standing there next to me, it wasn't but a second when he turned to me and he said, don't worry about it. Mm. We'll take care of it. Mm. And it was in that moment when I saw compassion put into action that a very small, <laughs> not yeah. a big flame, but a small just glimpse of, I want to help alleviate other people's pain. Yeah. And that only came because he was willing to alleviate mine in such mm-hmm. an uncomfortable situation. But it was just, I mean, that night was just full of moments that were indescribable. Yeah. You know, I was even, I was walking down the street and there was an officer who was walking behind me and, um, and I just kept walking and pacing and I turned to him and I said, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, um, he said something along the lines of, uh, I do. And I didn't want to get into, well, do you believe everything happens for a reason or anything like that? But I did say to him and I said, well, then why do you think he would let something like this happen? Mm. And he, I don't remember what he said, but I remember turning and looking up and I said to God, I said, here's the thing. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I get real honest with God real fast. <laughs> That's okay. You can handle it. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, I said, here's the thing. I don't understand why you would take somebody mm. who was so on fire for you, who turned their life around for you, who literally transformed. Where, I mean, people who knew him saw him transform because he was on fire for God, wow. dedicating his gym, listening to you know Christian music in there, having a verse of the day on the board right underneath the wad. Mm. Like, I mean, he was literally, you knew Richard and you knew that he loved his family, he loved God and he loved training. Like that was what everybody knew about him. Yeah. So as I'm standing there yelling at the sky, <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm asking him, I'm like, why would you do this? Why would you let this happen? And then I was waiting for a burning bush. Yeah. I was waiting for, you know, him to be brought back from the dead. I was waiting for this like miracle. And then I said, okay, we're not in the Old Testament. Mm. <laughs> You're not going to do anything, you know, supernatural in that way. So I said, if you want me to keep following you, if you want me to believe that you are good, then I need you to let me know that heaven is for real. Mm. Because if I know heaven is real, then that means that I can get through whatever time I have here left on earth. And I know that I'll be able to see him again. Yeah. And that was kind of where I left it with him for a little bit. There were other like God hug moments that came later, but that night, that's, that's where I was. Wow. I'm interrupting this important conversation for a really good reason. We want to make sure you know about all of the resources that are available to you, our Nothing Is Wasted community. 
Beyond the inspiration we all receive from our incredible conversations with our podcast guests, we also want to make sure we are taking it a step further by encouraging transformation. One way we do this is with our monthly partner program. For a $20 a month donation to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, you can access monthly mini bonus episodes with past guests, full bonus episodes with new guests, five to 10 minute supplementary commentaries about each episode, live Q&As, get first access to Nothing Is Wasted announcements, discounts to Nothing Is Wasted coaching, events and products, and other bonus content we'll release periodically. We want your support to this ministry to be mutually beneficial. So please take advantage of these resources as you consider setting up this partnership with us. To find out more information about this program, sign up or try a free seven-day trial, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Now back to our interview. Can you speak to um, a little bit to of just the what it was like to lose your husband suddenly? You know, so, some people as they're walking this grief road, they've lost a spouse maybe to cancer. They have those opportunities to be able to you know, prepare for it, or you know, say goodbye in some sense. Some instances, what was it like to you know kiss your husband goodbye one morning, so to speak, and then? thinking that you're going to see him at the end of the day or that you're going to hop into his class and then he's, and he's gone. Yeah. I think that, um, the biggest lesson in my life has come from that experience Mm. and that's anything can change in a moment. Mm. Literally anything can change in a moment. Yeah. Whether you're getting the news about, you know, a, a cancer diagnosis whether you're getting news that your organization is changing, right? Like Mm -hmm. anything, anything that you feel you are secure in or comforted by or what have you, it can all change in a moment. It can be taken away. It can be destroyed, what have you. And so I thought that I was actually going crazy Mm -hmm. because of all of the complex emotions that I was feeling. I, I felt like I was on an emotional roller coaster. Right. And I remember the first counselor who I saw, she said, well, here are the five stages of grief. And she Hmm. told them to me. And I was like, okay, well, you need to lock me up in a loony bin because I feel all of those within an (laughs) hour. It's very misleading, isn't it? (laughs) It is. And I'm glad that I later did my research to find out that that was only created for a different reason. It it really is not created to losing your loved one. Mm. Um, But but my point is, is, it wasn't until I went to a grief group And I sat around and there were about eight people there. And I was the only one who had lost their spouse suddenly. Mm. And every other person who sat in that room with me was as distraught and Mm. broken as I was. Yeah. And so it helped me to realize that A, I wasn't going crazy. Mm. And B, that it doesn't matter how we lose our spouse because... It's more so that we can't imagine when you when you lose somebody, whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, what have you, the the complex emotions that you feel that are tied to grief come because we can't imagine life without them. Right. So whether you've prepared yourself for several months or if it happens in an instant, you immediately experience that chemical deficiency in your brain. And that's mm. why we feel like we're going crazy. But I will say that I was jealous of those people because they got closure. 
I was conflicted in my grief because, you know, we didn't get to prepare anything. We didn't get to talk about this. The only reason that I knew that my husband wanted to be cremated, for example, was because one night in bed, we were watching a show, probably King of Queens or something Mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. And he said something about it. He said, you know, when I die, I want to be cremated. And I was like, oh, me too. It was like one of those just light conversations that we... Correct. I mean, we hadn't like there was nothing that was prepared. So I, I feel like any time that you go through a sudden change, it it helps you to also gain a new perspective and reverence for life. Um, but I think for me, I thought that there was something that was wrong with me, and it was helpful to know that there wasn't yeah. when I did get to connect with others who had that time to prepare. Mm. That's such a powerful insight because we talk about oftentimes how you can't compare pain. And, you know, as you're sitting here in this group, you you experience losing a spouse. Suddenly, they are experiencing losing a spouse in a different way. At the same time, everyone's filled up with grief. And on some side of things, you know, I've, I've kind of talked to other people, been across the table with someone who they've experienced losing a spouse over time. And I felt, you know, jealous of that. Like, and I wanted to be able to say goodbye. But also at the same time, I recognize some of the... Um, some of the, red, I don't, I don't know how to even, I don't know the the vocabulary for it, but some of the redemptive qualities about losing someone suddenly, as opposed to seeing them suffer over time, you know, and some of the, some of the assurances that I have, or you know, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't as painful, or that you know, in a moment they were in heaven, or you know, all those different things that you're beginning to God's starting to give you some comfort as He's helping you through that stuff, and so it just reminds me that, at the end of the day, we're all experiencing different facets of pain different, mm-hmm. um, different aspects of that, different types of it all across the spectrum and pain is pain. It and is. It, and it is. And that's, I just, I'm like, we're connected it. through that. Absolutely. And that is, yeah. you're right. It is that we say this off, often, it's the common denominator. We're all connected to it. And so it should provide us with empathy toward each other. Uh, although oftentimes it doesn't, unfortunately, and fortunately sometimes it causes the opposite bitterness, you know, impatience, short temperament, anger, all of those things and interactions with other people. But pain is pain. Have you ever read, um, I'm going to probably talk about this a lot. This is going to be my new CrossFit conversation. Are you ready for this one? Uh, Have you read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning? No, I haven't. And I love reading. Okay. So Viktor was a um, Holocaust survivor. And so he was actually in the concentration camp in Auschwitz which is probably one of the most infamous ones um, for being, you know, the highest of brutalization in that one. And he was a psychiatrist beforehand and then um, was actually working on a piece to try to help people in therapy. And um, then the when he was registered into this concentration camp, he had his manuscript stolen. And so he basically talks about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, this idea of one of the things that kept him driving forward in the midst of this intense pain and suffering was this purpose to finish his work to I've got to leave this legacy and finish this work. Well, it ends up the work that he was doing logotherapy is tying in so much with the suffering that he was experiencing and the suffering that he was witnessing. But one of the things he says in this book is he actually relates suffering to a gas chamber. And, you know, obviously that metaphor being there in a, you know, in a concentration camp, it's very poignant, but he says that suffering is like gas filling up a chamber. When suffering fills up your soul, it doesn't matter the type of gas or the capacity of the chamber, it fills it up. Mm-hmm. Gas That's always so fills up a chamber. And so no matter what suffering you're going through, what type, what nuance, whatever it is, it's still filling up your entire soul and you cannot compartmentalize it. It affects 
everything. That's right. And that's, that's right. And, and that's and what you that, You can't suppress it. Exactly. You should not suppress it. <laughs> right. Speak to that a little bit because you, you know, you were in this experience right there. How did you, did you know that immediately? Wait, I, I've got to start dealing with this. I've got, I can't suppress this. Talk about your experience kind of in the aftermath, because I think it's the aftermath of, of grief or the aftermath of that traumatic experience that really can take us out. Um, right. Can you talk to me about right. that journey for you? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't do it right. I didn't like know what to do as soon as I went through that. The very first thing that I was thinking is now what? Mm. Now what? Now what do I do? Like I literally don't know how to take the next step forward. You know, even the next morning when I had to get my son, he was with his dad every single day from the day he was born. Mm. He was never in daycare. So now I had to tell a two-year-old daddy's not here anymore. He's yeah. in heaven. Like I, I literally did not know how to take every, any step. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say every step, but that's true, but right. any step. Any step. Hmm. And so what I did in that moment um, is, is telling to the rest of the journey, when he walked into the room um, with my stomach and knots, you know, my hands sweating, mm. tears just boiling up. I said to him, I said, daddy's in heaven. I said, you know where God is? And he said, yes. And I said, well, daddy lives there with him now. And he said, okay. And he just turned around and walked away. Mm. I just, before I even opened my mouth, I said, God, what do I do? Mm. What do I say? Like, help me because I don't have it in me. And that has, that was my prayer from that point moving forward. What do I do? How do I show up? Where do I, I, I still do that before like a speaking engagement. I'm like, God, what do you want me to wear? <laughs> like, yeah, that's how much I surrender. Wow. But early on, I, I felt like, first of all, and you know this, in the first week, it's a lot of business, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to like, I have to deal with other people. I have to get food ready. I have to get the, you know, celebration mm-hmm. of life together. We have to have the, everything, the music, all of this, right? You have to respond to people. They're expecting you to be there and to even comfort them when you're like, I'm the one who right. needs the comfort. Right. And so I just felt like in the first, and that's not just in the first week, but definitely in the first month, I just felt like I was on autopilot because of all of the like business stuff that mm-hmm. had to happen. Um, and then when you know, all of the meals start slowing down and the calls start slowing down and all of that, I felt completely alone. Yeah. And there were people who who were there for me. There were people who would reach out often. You know, a good friend of mine would come over every single day and just lay on the ground with me. But regardless of somebody actually being next to me or calling or what have you, I felt alone. Yeah. <laughs> I was 29 and a widow and there was nobody else around me who could understand. And because I was so emotionally distraught, I actually couldn't verbalize or articulate how I was feeling inside. So I would just say that it was very isolating up front. And there was about maybe three or four months after Richard died, I remember laying in bed and I remember God saying, you're going to take your pain, you're going to turn it into purpose, and you're going to pay it forward to help others. And I was like, who, who, are, you, who are you talking what to? Because that? that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm over here with Ben and Jerry's having showered in seven days, mm. and I'm not sure who you are talking to about this. <laughs> and so... Which, can we be honest? Especially initially, that's okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank I think you. that's what people need to understand is that these initial aftermaths of things, like sometimes you're just doing whatever you can to get out of bed. That is like so the true. best next step for you is, hey, just get out of bed and make your bed. Like literally if just I took a shower, that was a win for take the day. It, exactly. And be okay with that. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. And so so a lot of autopilot. And, uh, and there came a day where I asked my friend, I said, 
is there a happy pill for this? Like, you know, those commercials where they say, if you're suffering with depression, here's this pill that will help. Like, what is that? Where is that? How do I get it? And so she's like, well, we can go to the physician. And, And so I went to the physician. She prescribed a couple of antidepressants for me. And I went home and I remember putting those pills on my bathroom counter and I was looking at them and I'm sobbing mm. because I'm thinking to myself, is this what my life has come to mm. where I have to rely on something to help me focus, to help me show up for my son, you know, to just do the day-to-day things that yeah. I used to be able to do. I mean, mm. I lost my confidence, my, my self-worth. I lost so much when that happened. And so, um, so anyway, I took them for a couple of days what they don't always tell you, or maybe I just didn't hear in that consultation was that when you start taking these, they actually put you into a deeper zombie state. Hmm. And so for a couple of days, I was in bed. Thank goodness my parents were there for with me to help out with Caleb. And I remember the day that he came in, he walked through the room and his little voice and he said, mommy, are you going to eat today? Are you going to hmm. get up? And it resonated with me. And it was another God moment where he was like, you have two choices here. Hmm. You can either give up or you can get up. Wow. But the choice is yours. And so I just processed that. I processed it for a a long time because it's not like you make one decision and then everything changes. Like you have to actually put in that effort. That's it, yeah. And you have to take it one breath at a time because you, again, because now I've learned that lesson that anything can change in an instant. I can't even mentally, even if I tried, prepare Mm. beyond this moment right here because I've just learned that I shouldn't, that I can't. So, I mean, I was, it it was like a war zone in my mind. And so as I tried to just, you know, I guess like I'll say do my best for Caleb, I do recognize that for that first year, I was one thousand percent on autopilot Mm. and I felt horrible about it. I would journal that I am so disappointed in myself that I can't get myself together, that I can't, you know, one of the barriers and this sounds crazy, but one of the barriers was like, I didn't want to cook anymore because I went from cooking for a family of four to one and a half. And that made me sad. And so I was like, I would eat like chicken noodle soup if I could. And then I felt bad that I wasn't giving Caleb a well-balanced meal. I mean, it was crazy. And one of the things that I guess upset me was that I would often have people say to me, gosh, you're so strong. I don't know how you're getting through it. And I'm like, Mm. you don't even know that I thought about running my car through a house on the way over here. Like, you know, like I just, they, they presume that because you are not going crazy on the outside, that everything is okay on the inside and it's not. And I just, I I felt like I was drowning. Wow. I I love what you said about just this this powerful moment where you heard the Lord kind of whisper into your soul, hey, you, you can either give up or you can get up, but the choice is yours. And that's why one of the things I love about God and in, in, in his interaction with us as human beings in general, but even in these spaces of grief, that he's a gentleman. Mm-hmm. He's not going to force himself on us, but he is going to be there that when we decide to uh, answer his invitation, he's like, yes. hey, I'm, I'm inviting you into this space of healing. But you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to actually get up to respond to this invitation. You got to show me that you want to do this. I mean, it's like uh, what in John chapter 5 where he comes across the invalid who's been there for 38 years. Mm-hmm. And he says, get up. But the first question he asks is, do you want to be healed? Do you want, yes. do you want this? Because if not, you can still s- sit here and wallow in this or you can get up. 
And somewhere yes. between the, do you want to be healed and the get up somewhere in that space, Jesus healed him, but the man would have never known that he was healed. Had he not gotten up, had he not and, taken a step. And, and what, so it's, so it's like, he's sitting by this pool Right. Mm -hmm. And he's the pool with us. And he's saying like, there are all of these reasons why I can't get to that thing that is going to heal me. His focus was in a space that was like, I, it was, it actually wasn't on what he thought was going to bring him healing. It was on all the reasons why he couldn't get to that space. Yes. Right. And so that's why, you know, honestly, that's one of the reasons it was that story that I was thinking to myself, I don't really want to be a coach. I want to be a friend. I want to be a guide. But okay, if I have to call myself mm-hmm. a professional title coach, let me be very specific. I'm a resilience and a mindset coach because it is your mindset that is going to help you to make those choices. Right, right. And it's those choices that you make that are ultimately going to make the impact, the ripple effect in your life. But it all starts with your mindset and the choices that you then, you know, they turn into decisions. That's right. And that's where God meets you. You know, he says, hey, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. But the first invitation is, hey, draw near to me. Go ahead, take a step. And then I'm going to fill in the gaps where your effort is not going to be enough. I'm going to fill in the gaps for you. And there's going to be some supernatural. You put your natural with my super, supernatural happens, but you got to take this step. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you were in this space now for a year, you said, where you were just kind of going on autopilot. And, um, you know, when you and I talked earlier, you talked about several other things in your life that you began to lose. It wasn't just kind of, you know, it wasn't just losing your husband, but then there were several losses that happened after that, which I think is very consistent with a lot of people's stories. I think that happens oftentimes, especially in these sudden traumatic losses, they end up seeing a lot of other transition happen in their life. Um, and I have a theory that a lot of it's good. It turns out to be obviously good transition. It's something that God's kind of doing to kind of bring you into a new space, but in the moment it doesn't feel like good transition. Some of it's not good transition. Some of it's just the really just crappy carnage that happens after this the brokenness of the of this sinful world has has just stepped in and crushed our life. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about some of those journeys for you and some of the some of the other losses that you had. Yeah, Davey, you're so right. I mean, people think that when they see, for example, a news story, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened and not realizing that it's created a ripple effect of other things for mm. that person's life. And I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I hear about um, you know, somebody going through some sort of tragedy, tragedy, I immediately think about the family. Like right. I, I certainly, you know, consider the life that's lost, but I, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, all of the things that are gonna change and, and that empathy just <laughs> shoots yeah. through the roof. Right. Um, because we don't we don't always consider that until we go through it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, I ended up losing uh, my house and and my car, my job. I mean, it is you know, relationships. I lost so much. I say those things, and and sometimes I I don't want people to misunderstand, right? So, for example, my car. Um, we had just purchased a larger car because we were trying to have more kids at the time. Mm-hmm. And so when he passed, I was like, well, I can't handle this and you know all of this by myself. Um, so I was kind of just looking at my finances and I'm like, I, I got to get rid of the car. And so it, it's not that it was a material thing. It was letting go of the dreams. That's it right that there. came mm-hmm. with that experience. Right. And so it was like, it was so, it was, it was tough. Yeah. It was really tough because it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm actually finalizing the fact that I'm not growing my family anymore. Yeah. 
with yeah. my husband. Yeah, that car right? symbolized something, you know? Correct. Sure, it was a, it's a piece of metal, right, fine. Right. No, it right. was a much, it had much more meaning to you. It was right. this new season, it was this season you and your husband were stepping into. It was these dreams, these hopes, these ideas of, and this thing that you had created. Cr- created in your, in your hearts is this is what, our, what we want our family to be like. And now you're letting go of all of that. And you're having to face the reality of that. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why that, that's specifically why that moment mm. was hard. Um, and even, you know, this was a house that we purchased together. So it was yeah. like when we purchased the home, I remember we were sitting in our master bedroom and we were just looking at each other and saying, wow, babe, we did it. Mm. And so then when I had to sell that home, I sat in the very same spot with two of my girlfriends and I said, I can't believe that it's happening like this. Yeah. And so it was just so... And then when I sold the home on a Friday, I walked in on a Monday and got laid off from my job. Mm. I mean, it was like... So I'll tell you that I laid on my ground and it was this moment where I, that I described called a pain attack. And I'm laying on my ground just sprawled out, crying, laying in a puddle of tears. And I said, okay, God, here's the thing. I told you, I get real in my Mm -hmm. prayers, baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I said, here's the thing. I don't know why you have me in this place, but I feel like I have nothing. Mm. You are taking everything from me. What is going on here? And then I said to myself, to your point, what you were just saying earlier, I said, you must have a reason. There must be something going on that you have to get rid of some things that you have to move out these relationships that I have to relocate that I like, right. It was, I'm just going through my mind. I'm just thinking, I may not know what that is. I definitely don't know what it is in this minute, but I'm going to trust you. Yeah. I'm just going to trust that, you know, why all of these changes are happening. And, you know, after Richard died, I didn't go to church for over a year because Mm -hmm. I just, I, it was so hard for me to be in that space and I tried, but I couldn't go get through praise and worship. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just done. I just can't deal with this. Um, But what I realized is that I got closer to God during that year than I've ever been before because I kept talking to Mm. him because I kept demanding like, you know, I'm chasing after you. And he was like, I'm meeting you there. And so as I'm crying and I'm asking and I'm just saying all of these things, don't you know that I was led to, um, even though I wasn't going to church, I was still, you know, getting connected. And Mm -hmm. so I was reading Jesus calling. And I remember in there, it said some, something along the lines of pain and suffering is an opportunity for you to show me that you trust me. Mm. And so that's kind of what was running through my mind when I'm on the ground is that I'm going through all of these different losses, but I'm going to trust you through yeah. it. Wow. And it feels, it, you know, it, and it feels crazy to even say that. It feels crazy to even think like, oh my gosh, my world is crumbling around me, but I'm going to find calm with you. Or at least I'm going to try and find some peace, or at least I'm just going to be still. Yeah. <laughs> my mom told me, she's like, if you don't know what to do, just be still. I'm like, yes, <laughs> best advice ever. Um, because in that moment when everything had been ripped away at the end of that year, I just felt like I don't even know what to do. Yeah. So I'm just going to surrender. Mm. And that's, that's what I did. That's what I left on that floor was um, getting out of my own way of trying to control what should happen. Mm. Instead, being intentional with my choices and just surrendering to the journey. Wow. That's so good. That's so difficult to do because when you feel like you're out of control in a traumatic experience like what you've had, you fight for control. You're like, okay, I want to put some things in place because these are my comfort zones to know that I've got certain things in my control. And then God begins to kind of pull those things out of your life as well. And it begins exactly to kind of, that. And you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> these are the things that were helping me get through this. These are the things that were helping me to kind of move. And God's like, yeah, I, 
but why don't you let me be the one to help you get through this? Let's not, yes. let's not hold on to these things. Can you speak to that tension? Because you're six years removed from this and I consistently still feel the tension of being tugged uh, into holding on to certain things of the past. And it can be small things, minimal things. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. We just did a garage sale just a couple weekends ago here and we were decluttering a bunch of stuff in our house. And I came across, uh, some things of Amanda's that I've held on to. And Christy asked me the question like, Hey, okay, what of these do you want to continue to hold on to? And what do you want to go ahead and, you know, let go of specifically the things I decided to let go of were shirts that she had bought me that mm -hmm. I still had in my closet. You know, I remember she bought them for me cause she liked me in those shirts and I hadn't worn them for like two years or, or more because it wasn't something I was wearing anymore. But I had to go through this conscious decision of going, I'm going to let go of that shirt. And it, it was a lot more than just letting go of a shirt. Some people have trouble with that in general and <laughs> going yeah, through their closet. Right. I just, oh, I can't let go of that shirt, you know. But it was so much more uh, of, a, of a wrestling of do I let go of this. Can you speak to that journey for you and the tension between, because, you know, I'm try, I want to I wanna lead this into as well, kind of what you're helping other people do and how to move forward and find purpose in their pain. But there's always that wrestling. You kind of sit somewhere between letting go of the things of the past and stepping into the new things. And mm -hmm. oftentimes you find yourself in spaces where you can't have both. Mm -hmm. How has that wrestling been for you? Well, I remember a significant, it was also a, a garment. <laughs> I remember a significant moment in that because when I was moving into my home now, I was downsizing from the mm. home that we had. So in that case, it was easy for me to let go of stuff because I simply didn't have the space, right? It mm -hmm. just wasn't going to. Yeah. But I I was considering what of his things am I going to keep, right? Because it, I mean, it took me a long time to even throw away his toothbrush. I'll be mm. honest. <laughs> I was just sitting yep. there. So what I decided was I was going to make a daddy box and it was going to mm. be for the kids where I would save some of his things, you know, watches or I know my son's going to be tall. So like some of his shoes or, you know, things like that, but only what could fit in the box. Richard had such a heart for giving to others that like all of his sneakers, you know, I gave those to people who were in need. I gave those to um, organizations through my church who are going to give them to people in need, right? So I, yeah. it was like little by little. But my friend who was helping me to pack up the last bit of my stuff, um, I'm sorry, she was helping me unpack and I was already in the new house. She took out these pair of boxer briefs and she was like, Karen, what are these? <laughs> and I was like, well, I used to always wear Richard's boxer briefs because, you know, they're like shorts for us. And so, you know, they're just, I wear them to bed. And she was like, we're going to let these go. I was like, no, no, I wear them to bed. She said, then we'll buy new ones. Mm. And I sat on the ground and I cried like a baby and I did not want to let them go. Mm -hmm. And she sat next to me as she talked to me through it. And, and she was actually a widow as well. And so as she talked to me through it, it was one of those moments where I thought to myself, okay, Karen, seriously, it's underwear. Right. You can you can get, you know, some other ones. But what I don't I think what I wrestled with was people would say to me very quickly and I believe there it was really insensitive, but people don't know until they don't know, right? right? But they would say, "Don't worry, you're young, you're going to get married mm -hmm. again." And I'm like, that does not take away the pain that I'm feeling for my husband. Right. That does not replace him. That that's just not and so 
as I struggled with that, what I also struggled with in parallel was the notion that we move on. Yeah. And I don't think that you ever move on from something like this. Mm. I like what you said, and I, it's, I use this word a lot. We move forward. Yeah. And so as we move forward, you can consider what tangible things around me are, are really necessary. Do I need to have these? Some of them maybe, right? You can take t-shirts and make them into a quilt and give that to the kids and then you can donate the rest of them, right? right. But I think that there's more honor when you move forward, when you are living out in a way that honors them and their character Mm. and their values. And so those are the things that you take with you. You don't leave that behind. You know, you honor their life by enjoying things that they enjoyed, you know, on their birthday or on their anniversary, you know, whenever it's it's significant for you. But I think that when it comes to things, none of these things are going to be with us. Yeah. We can't take them where we're going. Yeah. Where they are, they are not worried about these things yeah, that are right. here. <laughs> but what it's happens so is we hoard all of this stuff. Mm. And then while it is imposing on our physical environment, it's also doing more damage to our mental and our emotional health. Mm. Wow, because when you clutter your space, you're also cluttering your soul. Yeah. And so, so for me, it was little by little but it was always a conscious decision. And so there are still things that I have, you know, there are, um, I do have like a trunk for myself, you know, a trunk for the kids and, and that's it. Yeah. And it took time to get to that point. And yes, even, you know, a year and a half later, I was not ready to let go of his underwear. It <laughs> was a very <laughs> real moment. Um, but I do see the, the connection between what you're holding on to as far as physical things and how that can prevent you from moving forward emotionally and and also mentally. Yeah, that's so good. So well put too, Karen. I mean, that such a such a beautiful insight into all that stuff that the decluttering of things, I think just in general really helps you your emotional you know, your emotional state, but particularly when it comes to grief, you, there is an element which you have to begin to kind of put some you got to put some of these things to bed, you know? Yes. Um I've had I've had, uh, I've heard counselors say you you need to write a letter to your, you know, if you didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye, write a letter to your friend who passed or write, write a letter to your spouse that passed and kind of like say your, say your goodbyes. There's an element to which you have to kind of just put those things to bed in order to move forward. And to your point, your husband, you know, my late wife, like we, that they'd want us to do that. Absolutely. Say, hey, listen, no, what, what are you doing? We're like enjoying things in heaven right now. We want you to continue to move yes. forward with purpose. Don't let this paralyze you. Keep moving forward. And that, that's the work that you do. You're helping other people not get paralyzed in whatever situation they're in. Can you speak for just a few minutes as, as we're kind of like, you know, um, landing this conversation, but talk to us a little bit about the work that you do with people and maybe some common threads. It doesn't matter what type of tragedy they've gone through, what type of loss. Do you find there are certain things you're like, hey, every person needs to, common denominators, every person needs to wrestle with these principles or wrestle with these concepts. What are, what are some of those concepts you really help people to um, to wrestle with as they're navigating whatever their grief is? Yeah. So the first thing was when I was let go, you know, first of all, that moment was insane because I, I was let go on a Monday morning. I walk down with my box of stuff. I get in my car, I turn on the radio and there's Joel Osteen talking about how you should laugh in the midst of like your hardships. Right. And I'm like, yeah. how do I laugh at this? Yeah, like, this easy for you terrible. to say, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why? Yeah. And so, but, but in that moment, I specifically remember thinking to myself, 
what am I going to do? I am failing as a mom. Like Mm. I can't even provide for my, like, and then I thought, wait a minute, wait, what am I going to do? Like, it's almost like I felt this sigh of relief that Mm. I could choose what I wanted to do, that I could create that flexibility for my son. So it was in that moment where my mind was going to dictate my attitude moving forward, Mm. like my mood when I picked up my son in a couple of hours, like it was going to literally show up in my life without me even being able to deny it. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, that's a significant moment. But there was also this moment where I was thinking about the man who killed my husband. Mm. And along the way, I was thinking, if only he had made a different choice and my life would be different. If only he had... And I started with, if only he didn't go to the gym. Okay. If only he didn't turn down that road. If only he didn't get out the car. let's say he did all of that and he still walked into the gym and was pointing the gun at my husband. If only he didn't pull the trigger. Mm. And I thought to myself, how dare he try and play God? What kind of power does he think that he, he Mm. holds or he can do this? And I was like, wait, there's, it was power in choice. Mm -hmm. It was his choice. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, Karen, you have the same power. Mm you hold the same power in choice. And so I tied that experience, that visualization that I had with reflecting on my mindset and I've coupled that. Mm. And I want to help people understand the power of their choices, regardless of the situation that you are in, you get to choose how you're responding. That's great. Now, the thing about it is, you're going to respond from the space that you are currently living in. So you're going to respond if you are hurt and broken and angry and mad. You're going to respond that way. You can still feel all of those things, but you also have to be able to put them in their place, right? You have to be Mm -hmm. aware of that. You have to choose that you're putting them in your place and then choose a different response. Mm. So I'm not saying that your feelings are should be neglected. I'm not saying they should be suppressed. I'm saying you get to choose if they dictate your words or your actions. That's right. So as I kind of moved through and as I was deciding, okay, well, how am I going to help others? You know, the reason that I knew that it was going to be more broad than widow and widowers was because my sister was actually going through a divorce at the same time that uh, Richard Mm. was killed. And I saw similarities in our emotional distress. Yeah. And so I decided that, okay, well, if I'm going to help people, then I am going to keep it open because the Mm -hmm. commonality here is pain and suffering. And I know that I'm the person to help you if you have a growth mindset, Mm. right? That's kind of where it, that's where I am able to meet the people who I help. But I will say that my soul is set on fire to help people in, in that capacity. But I also feel this obligation to help corporate America Mm. just manage people better, Mm -hmm. right? Because we are not robotic. We can't just turn off our emotions. And I always start these workshops uh, that I do with a question of everybody close your eyes and raise your hand if you've ever experienced any of the following. And I'll list off different things, you know, everything from death of a loved one down to job loss or even Mm. financial loss. By the time they all open up their eyes, every hand in the room is raised. Wow. Because we've all been through something. Yep. And I think that we could do better in serving one another in corporate America and being there and being human 
And the more that we do that, you know, people, they derive a lot of their self-value from their work and their work environment, their work family. And so if we could do better in those spaces, it would make a radical shift in our society. Yeah. But I did learn along the way, I'll be honest, as an entrepreneur, I was trying to like bang down doors talking about grief and not everybody wants to talk about grief. So that's why I switched to talking about compassion and empathy. Yeah. Um, but, but personally, I just, I love talking to people about resilience mindset, helping them to see the power of their choices, you know, getting really granular to say, if you say this to that person, how is it going to impact their world? Mm. Think about that for a second, right? If you parent your child from a lack of patience or a lack of understanding, what kind of impression are you making on your child's mental health, Mm. right? It's like all of these things that they may feel a little daunting. The conversation even right now as people are hearing this may think, oh, well, that's a lot. But you know what? It's actually not because it starts with your thoughts. Yeah. Every action and every word starts from a thought. And if you can tune in, then you're going to be more conscious about how you're showing up in the world. Yeah, that's so good. Well, you know, what what you're saying is that in your life, um, someone's choice completely altered the course of your life. And that is often the case for many of us. You know, there, there are things that someone does to us or things that happen to us that we did not have a choice over. But we do have a choice to alter the course of our life. <laughs> right, From right. From here on out, we have a choice on how we're going to respond to that. And yep. there, is a, there is a power of, to choice. And um, I love the conversation. You know, I love what you're, the message that you're bringing forward because there is so much to be said about just choosing resilience, choosing hope, choosing um, joy, choosing to have the right attitude. Because again, I'll bring Victor Frankel back into this. He said, the only thing that man cannot steal from you is your attitude on how you're going to respond to certain things. Mm-hmm. It's your mm-hmm. attitude. That's the only thing, your inner being, your, who you are on the inside. That's the thing that someone cannot steal from you. They can steal everything else from you. This world will can and will try to take everything from you. It can't take that. It can't take your character and who you are and how you respond to those things. And yeah. so, Karen. And it was really, and when I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, when I was thinking about that guy, I was thinking to myself, he could have killed two people that night yeah. because if I give up now, Caleb is going to lose both of his parents. Mm. And I refuse to let that be his story. Wow. You know, my son was my, my, my purpose up front. I wanted to be able to show him that you can take something bad because bad things are going to happen in this world. Yep. We live in an exiled world. That is a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Troubles and suffering are definitely going to come. But it's during those times where you're either going to draw closer to God and you're going to lean on His strength. You're going to lean on, on His grace. Like, I mean, talk about forgiveness, right? Like, how mm. am I going to find forgiveness in myself for a, a monster who did this and brought this into my life? I don't have it in me. Okay, God, let me tap into you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> let me ask you, you know? <laughs> right. Wow, that's so good. Karen, how can um, our listeners follow more about what you're doing? Where can they find you? Yeah, the best way to find me is just go to karenmilsap.com or I'm really active on Instagram, karen.milsap. If you look up Karen Millsap, you will find me. But Millsap with two L's. People usually spell it with one. <laughs> two L's, Millsap with two L's. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. Thank you for the conversation that you're initiating in the world and for the work that you're doing. And I'm really proud of you for not letting this take you out, but you are taking um, ground. You're taking back territory from the enemy. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the work that you're doing as as well. It's it's much needed.
That was an incredible interview with Karen. I I just how it it makes Ugh. me think just how quickly life can change. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> at the drop of a hat. I mean, seriously. And then to to hear her uh more than just optimism, like her faith and resilience through this. I mean, as I was talking yeah. to her, you would have never known that she had lost her husband like this. No. You would never know that she walked all. through this kind of horrific tragedy. And uh and yet of course I felt a kindred spirit to her. Mm. Um it never ceases to amaze me how God shows up in these things and how mm. he can carry you through these things. You know, I, um, I would think at this point, as many stories as we've heard that I would be like, oh yeah, of course, of course, you know, but I'm like, every time I'm hanging on their every word going, oh my gosh, how did God get you through this one? Tell yeah. me, tell me, I can't wait to hear. Exactly. Yeah. Such a personal God. So he's so infinite, but so intimate. Um, and we, mm. we actually talked about last week, just making some rhythm changes in your schedule and your, um, for this new year of yeah. ways that you can prepare yourself to walk through trials that you haven't even faced yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know if you guys started doing that last time, but, um, for me, I feel like it has made me want to cry out to the Lord to just have more hunger for his word, um, I don't know, Davey, if you've thought through this anymore, but I feel, I feel a call to be yeah. in the Word more. Well, and that's the the place to build your foundation. You know, Matthew chapter 7 talks about how there's a wise man and a foolish man. The wise man builds his house on the rock. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. And it says the difference between the two of them is not that one experienced trials, the other one didn't. Both of them experienced a storm. The difference was the person that built his house on the rock is the person who listened to the words of Jesus and did them. You know, mm-hmm. and for us, the most tangible place where we can find the words of Jesus is is the Bible, God's mm-hmm. Word. And so, for us to immerse ourselves in God's Word and build our life around God's Word, not let, uh, you know, so many times people try to bend God's Word around their life, try to make it say what they want it to say. But if we if we if we let bend our life and orient our life around God's Word, then it puts us on a bedrock, a a a strong foundation, so that when the storms come this year you're going to stand. And, you know, just simply in terms of what we were just talking about with the fact that God will show up in your tragedy, you can look at this year and be afraid mm-hmm. of this year because there's probably some kind of trial uh, inevitably coming your way this year. Or you can put your your hope and your trust in the Lord that He has seen you through all the rest of your trials. Yep. He's seen all of these amazing people that we're interviewing through their trials. And no matter what you're going to go through, He's going to see you through it. Yes. Well, consider this a shameless plug. I don't even care. But one of my other (laughs) rhythms that I'm going to continue to do is listen to the Nothing Is Wasted (laughs) podcast because I think there really is something so beneficial to listen, reading missionary bios or listening to stories on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast that give you hope and say, okay, the same God that brought them through this trial is the same God that will take me and carry me through any adversity that I face. That's so true. That's so true. Well, you know, speaking of Mel, you're going to be listening to it. Um, and it's going to be in a different capacity because it really is. Yeah, we, as we mentioned last week, um, Mel's last episode for being the co-host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast is going to be January thirtieth. So it's just in a couple of weeks, and that's bittersweet. Um, it's very sad, but we're really excited about the space that your family is creating in your lives, the new rhythms that you guys are creating to be able to seize the opportunities that God is putting in front of you. And um, we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks on your last episode. 
Um, yep. But man, I'm still we're just gonna super... be your number one fan on the Nothingness <laughs> Wasted podcast, so don't you worry. Um, I'm uh, also a fan of Sleeping at Last, who <laughs> does all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. So if you haven't heard um, Sleeping at Last, go check them out. You can find them at any place that music can be streamed or downloaded. It will be worth your while. So um, you guys, the episode that's coming Ooh. up next week, it's it's like I'm going to listen to it like three or four more times and fill up a notebook full of wisdom. Um, it's with this guy named Terry. He's super wise, had yeah. a crazy life, crazy childhood. <laughs> and just to see what, where the Lord has brought him, you, you're just going to be in awe. So anyways, check out this clip from Davey's conversation with Terry. Interestingly enough, Davey, one of my earliest memories was uh, I was sitting on the hardwood floor of my grandparents' home uh, playing with uh, cowboy figures. When I was little, I dreamed of one thing, and that was to be a cowboy. And uh, (laughs) I was playing on the hardwood floor when my grandfather came in, and uh, he said to Grandma, uh, get Terry ready, I want to take him for a ride. And so uh, that seemed odd, but she got me ready. We went for a ride and we ended up making a turn down a very dark road and then up a two lane, a little two track way up into the woods. And it was dark. And I could remember hearing the screeches of branches along the side of the car, which sounded like witches howling. And all of a sudden, my grandfather told me to get in the back seat and hide. And as he said that, he pulled a revolver out of the glove box And then he jumped out of the car, locked it and left. And there I was as a four or five year old kid laying on the floor, shivering with great fear. And my grandfather was gone for quite a while. Then he came back, huffing and puffing, jumped in the car. We backed out on the way home. He says, don't tell anybody. 